when you're ready. Let's start this game. Selling author Delilah S. Dawson. Let's find out about her writing process, her newest novel, The Violence, as well as her love for all things whimsical and dark. Hey, this is Sarah from the Bay County Public Library. And this is Stephen from the Huntsville Madison County Public Library. Hi, I'm author Delilah S. Dawson. And uh, your newest book is The Violence. Uh, can you uh, introduce your, our listeners to it? Sure. Um, so The Violence is a book about a different kind of plague. It's one in which these random bouts of animalistic violence break out seemingly randomly and uh, whoever catches it turns to the person nearest them and beats them to death with whatever is most convenient. The whole book kicks off in a Costco with an old lady with a bottle of Thousand Island salad dressing. So yeah, it's, it's a very different kind of plague and it's about uh, three generations of women, a mother named Chelsea who um, is in a domestic abuse relationship and is just waking up to this fact after years of gaslighting. Uh, her mother, Patricia, who is a narcissist who clawed her way up from being a single mother in a trailer to being a very wealthy country club dame, and uh, Chelsea's daughter and Patricia's granddaughter, Ella, who is 17, and just realizing that like maybe her dream boyfriend is not her dream boyfriend at all, and they all are able to use the plague of the violence to kind of break out of uh, these you know, strictures of um, abuse that have been holding them back. The violence doesn't go in any direction that I'm expecting. Cause normally when I'm reading, I'm like, okay, this is what's gonna happen next, but that's not what the violence is at all. And so there's a lot of like, whoa, what just happened and great hooks throughout the book. So it's really fun and it's really fulfilling. So as a writer, are you a pantser or a plotter or how's your writing style? Sure. Um, it kind of depends on the book. I definitely can't start writing unless I have some basic goalpost moments. So I have to know how the book begins, the instigating factor that kicks off the plot, uh, the main conflict, the climax and the ending. And then I usually have uh, some scenes in mind. Um, like when I started thinking of the violence, the pro wrestling angle came along pretty quick, which is, you know, you wouldn't expect that out of a kind of lit fic horror thriller, but there is a pro wrestling storyline. So it just depends when I write uh intellectual property IP books like Star Wars uh, or Minecraft, they want a much more full sort of outline. So I can outline too. Um, I've also learned as a writer in general, if the more I outline, the more likely I am to have a pretty smooth, fast first draft, the ones where I'm not quite sure, um, or where half of the book is stuff happens, things can go off the rails a little bit. So um, I'm actually enjoying, you know, a little bit more outlining these days than I, I did when I was younger and would kind of have a book kind of put her out around 100 pages and be like, what happened? Uh, you mentioned professional wrestling. I'm, I'm a huge fan of this. Was this something that you were a fan of before or is this or something you deep dived into? Um, and my dad was always watching it growing up, you know, like I knew Rowdy Roddy Piper and we watched the, was it, it wasn't WWE, the, there was the, the Saturday morning cartoon show mm -hmm. that had uh, Hulk Hogan and all those guys. Like I remember watching that. Um, my husband, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty quirky. But when we were talking about getting married, he was like, um, you know, we, you said, you, you kind of like, you make the other person jump hoops. And he's like, well, I, I really would like to make sure that, you know, before we get married, we go see professional wrestling together. Cause he really liked the undertaker. And in college, I would like spend hours at the student center arcade, watching him play the WWE game or whatever. So um, we went to see the undertaker uh, as part of our pre-marriage ritual. We also went to monster truck rally, which was exciting for me. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I'm not a super, 
big fan. I don't want anybody to think that. I think it's awesome. But uh, I watched some of Glow, and I thought that was very cool. But in kind of cogitating on this book and trying to figure out which direction to take it, because I knew I didn't want it to be, I'm just not the most super serious person. I can hold on to it for a few minutes, but I can't maintain that for a whole book. So I kind of knew that I wanted to go somewhere different than just, you know, oh, she fights through a domestic violence shelter and she works her way up at the hotel. And I was like, no, she got to do something really crazy. This is Florida. And I want to really push this character because like, that's what we do as writers. You want to put your character into a situation that's going to be uniquely challenging for her. Um, but I just started thinking, you know, if you have this world where people are breaking out in random acts of violence and the book was written at the start of the pandemic when everything was closed down, including my, my son and husband were supposed to go to a big wrestling match and they, they haven't been refunded for that ticket yet. It was canceled. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, wrestling might shut down. You probably don't want a whole bunch of people crammed together. And I was like, but people still want that. They still want to see that bread the circuses. They want to see the violence acted out. So it seemed like, oh, there's an attitude here where someone who wasn't quite as above board could start a new form of pro wrestling around uh, the violence, which again, you know, is not completely real. So it just seemed like a really fun thing to, to go into and that someone like Chelsea would never ever consider until she's kind of pushed to a brink because she was more into like Lululemon and, and, you know, essential oils. And now she has to go hit a dude with a chair. That's one of the joys of being in Florida at the time of the, the pandemic where wrestling was considered essential business. I, I lived in Florida at the time this book was written when I lived in Tampa, which is why it's a Tampa book. So a lot of the places in uh, that they pass by um, are directly from my life, like the, the little yellow carpet store that's kind of the, the TJ Eckelberg of this book is a place that I had to pass and their signs made me so mad. That place is legit real. Um, so yeah, it's a very Florida book. And it's also very like, people at the height of the pandemic would be at Target arguing that they didn't have to wear a mask. And you were just like, come on, man. And this kind of fills into a question I was going to ask later on, but both Steve and I are very Florida familiar because um, Bay County Public Library is in the panhandle. And Stephen was at this location, but now he's in Huntsville. Um, and so you're kind of forever a Florida girl having lived in Florida for so long. And both the violence and mine are set in Florida. They yeah. become characters. So could you tell a little bit more about choosing Florida for the location? Oh, sure. I, I love Florida. I'm from Georgia. So Florida was where we vacationed as a kid. So I kind of have, and that's, that's it's my favorite vacation place pretty much. So I, I have my experience there, but it is, you know, it's, it's an eight, eight hour drive from my house here in North Atlanta down to the parts of Florida that I've always enjoyed. And it's like, at some point when you cross the line into most states, you're like, oh, you know, we're in the middle of a cornfield that says Missouri. Hi, Missouri. And you lift up your feet or kiss the, you know, mirror or whatever. When you go into Florida, you're like, it's like walking into Jurassic Park. Like there's the, it goes from like, you know, pine trees, pine trees. It's like palm trees. And, you know, the, somehow the asphalt knows to get more cracked and gross right over the state line. And it's not just a gas station. It's a gas station where you can buy like a pickled alligator. I love it. It's, it's such a neat uh, place to set things. I also, I wrote an X-Files uh, comic called X-Man, Florida Man, the X-Files Case Files, Florida Man. That was also another love song to Florida while I was there. So I really took advantage of it, but um. Yeah, mine was based on my neighbor's house. Um, almost all the houses in Tampa are just these squatty little troll houses made out of stucco. They have to hunker down in case of hurricanes. And then my neighbor's house was like made out of all wood and glass and strange angles. And I was like, did no one tell you how to build the house here? And we would go feed their cats and we would get lost because it was shaped so weird. And there were like mirrors in front of doorways. So my daughter one time was like, wouldn't it be terrible if this place was haunted? And I was like, yes, it would. That would be so bad for them. Um, so yeah, that's based on like their dock, their house, a little swampy place by their house. 
Um, and then, you know, uh, the violence, I was writing it there and it just seemed like, uh, you know, the plague and the violence, they can't figure it out. And I was like, oh, if it was based on mosquitoes, it would start in hot places. Um, and so it kind of made an interesting way for their area to be one in which you would be in big trouble. Like if my characters had lived uh, in Saskatchewan, they would not have had this problem because there's no mosquitoes there. But because they were in like the heart of things, it was especially challenging for them. Oh, but also like Florida, I, I'm a big person for birds and reptiles. And like, it's so cool. It's like Jurassic Park. You look outside and you're like, oh, there's like a seven foot stork in my front yard. Um, there's, you know, an alligator uh, by the stop sign while I'm turning left. I would go, I'm a mountain biker. I'd go mountain biking with my friends and we'd have to like mountain bike through the hog wallows and past baby alligators. Like it's, it's unreal. I really miss it, that aspect of it. I was never able to keep plants alive until I moved there and it like blessed me with its ornamentic. <laughs> and now I'm like a plant woman. I was going to ask you what your favorite Florida bird was, because where if you were around Tampa, there would be like birds with spoonbills and the wood mm -hmm. storks, and they are kind of very surreal. <laughs> yeah, the sandhill cranes are kind of the, the token bird of that area, where they're just so interesting and cool, and we would all get very excited when they came to sit in your front yard, because they peck around, and um, I got my first like fancy camera, and when you focus in, like you can see straight through their nostril, so you're just like, oh my god, there's just a hole in your face! <laughs> Um, and they would have their little babies and their babies have are you know, the adults are like tall and beautiful and the babies are like these little fat pudgy brown things. And my son was younger at the time and he used to call them baby puddin' pants. So we'd always get very excited when it was baby puddin' pants season. He'd be like, I thought so baby puddin' pants is on the school bus. Oh, I love Florida. You said you, uh, from past interviews, you, you kind of picked up that you tend to favor experience over research. Um, so with this pandemic, how has that impacted your writing with things being less available? Yeah, it's been a challenge. I, I definitely do. That's, you know, it's like my first book, Wicked As They Come. Back then, I remember taking like a trapeze class so I could write like trapeze making out scene, that sort of stuff. I've ridden a camel so I could write about riding camels. And it's definitely more challenging during the pandemic. Um, this book didn't have as, as much of that necessary. Um, there was kind of, I, I've had a little bit of fight training. I took Muay Thai for three or four years. Um, I took some jujitsu. My husband is a like fourth degree black belt jujitsu instructor. So I know what it feels like to do some of these moves. Um, the domestic violence in this book was based on what I grew up with. My dad used to choke us unconscious. So like, I know what that feels like. Uh, luckily did not have to seek that information out. So yeah, this, this book didn't have as much kind of experiential research. I did have to, um, I'm so fortunate to have so many kind people uh, on Twitter who are willing to help. So I just said on Twitter like, hey, do I know any epidemiologists who could talk to me about a made up virus? And this wonderful man named Brian Height up in Canada answered. And so for the past year and a half, he's been answering any question I have and helped me build both the illness that could cause the violence and the uh, you know inoculation that kind of stops it and, and keeps you from getting it in the future. So uh, really grateful for that. And, and anyone who helps me, um, I'm writing a book right now that, you know, I asked them to like, hey, is anybody have, can, uh, you know, a doctor who could answer a very grisly question about dead people? And I got people like, oh yeah, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse. So I had some lovely people explain to me, you know, what this dead body would look like after uh, someone had murdered them. <laughs> it was great. So yeah, definitely got Twitter going. Um, and then mine was just based on my, my neighbor's house. Uh, and then, you know, I guess also during the pandemic, I've written a couple of Roblox books, which I, you know, you can watch other people play, Ro or not Roblox, I'm sorry, Minecraft. My son is big into Roblox. Minecraft. So I've written two Minecraft books, and I have uh, watched a lot of Minecraft. My kids got into the Dream SMP, and I watched Python MC and all of these guys. Uh, personally, playing Minecraft makes me so dizzy, and uh, it gives me, like, vertigo that I think I'm going to throw up. 
but for some reason watching other people play it on, on, on the internet, I'm safe, like I'm far enough away. So I've, I've watched a lot of Minecraft. I was gonna lead into character questions. Um, Patricia's character was really, her arc throughout the violence is fantastic. It, it doesn't go where I was expecting. And I love all of the characters. I probably more personally identify with like maybe Ella because she was very grounded. Um, so who was your favorite character to write for the violence? Uh, I mean, in a way it was probably Patricia just because I was um, trying to pick a person who just seemed irredeemably terrible and that you were like, oh, I don't like this person. I want something bad to happen to them and make them someone that you would root for. You know, as, as writers, you know, when you write a lot of books, you're constantly trying to do new things and push yourself and not kind of fall into the trap of doing the same thing over and over again. So this is a thing I wanted to try to do was redeem a monster. <laughs> she was actually based on, I, I went to France uh, in 1995 for the summer and our chaperone brought her mother whose name was Patricia and she was just awful. And I remember like <laughs> writing in my diary, like this trip would be so great if not for Patricia. <laughs> so so there was some basis in fact for that. But yeah, it was, it was super fun um, trying to figure out not only what would make someone become you know, that very uh, cold, unloving sort of narcissist who, you know, would deny their own child help in their greatest time of need, and then also like deny their grandchildren help, um, and then send her back to those roots and make her be a person again. Chelsea was fun to write because I was trying to kind of pick someone who had become bland through the effects of being in uh, an abusive relationship for so long. Kind of what happened to my mom where you're married to this man and he won't he cut you off from all your friends we can't be friends with them well all your hobbies well he doesn't want you to go to that drama class and he doesn't want you to you know do this or do that until it's just they keep cutting off your legs till there's nothing left and there's not much left of you so chelsea i understand started as kind of a, a very bland person but it was really fun to you know watch her become a person again she had to build herself up from the bottom and then ella was fun um just because I remember being that age and I remember I had a boyfriend who started out. It's just, he is dreamy. Everybody likes him. Like that was very much based on a relationship that I had. The guy that I dated eventually stalked me and raped me. I did not let Ella go through that. I let her uh, have a different kind of revenge, but um, you know, it's, it's just neat to put yourself in all of these places and to let these characters be empowered in a way that, you know, I would really have wanted to have been empowered when I was in similar situations. I love them all, especially all the, the female characters. And you know what? River and Leanne, I really enjoyed too. Um, when I mm -hmm. originally uh, pitched this book um, and, you know, I, I pitched with the book in 20 chapters, Leanne was, and River were both um, point of view characters. I started out with like 11 point of view characters. Um, so it's like, I, I know them a little bit more intimately than, than other people do, but um, I enjoyed writing them and, you know, just you do stumble across good people. Like this is a book where, you know, you stumble onto a lot of bad things and you think, oh, this is the absolute worst thing that could happen to you right now. So I really wanted some, you know, there are good people in the world who will take you in. There are, you know, <laughs> extroverts and uh, people with resources that will see you in your time of need and help you even when you can't believe it, that it's possible. Obviously this has some, some darker tones, some heavier material in it. Um, I understand that you do a Spotify playlist for, for most of your writing kind of stuff. So what, what went on to this playlist to kind of oh, get yeah. you in that mindset? Let's look and see. I don't even know if this one. Oh, there it is. TV. All right. What do we got? Um, this one was a lot of, uh, I don't know if they call it kind of new grass, um, but it has some Orville Peck, Bruce Springsteen, um, Penny and Sparrow, some kind of more haunted 
not necessarily country music, but the, it was music that felt more haunted and abandoned. There's some, uh, The Who is on there with uh, Wolf Totem, that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's a very, if you, uh, so on Spotify, I'm Delilah S. Dawson, which is where I am kind of everywhere. And most of my playlists, I believe, are public. The ones that the books are out, they're named after their books. So there's one for, you know, Black Spire, The Princess Beard, Trees and the Hawks. Um, I probably need to rename TV because you wouldn't know that that was the violence. So until the book is, comes out, I don't, I don't make the playlist official like that. I, listening back to one of your interviews, uh, you were talking about how, you know, you, you don't want to put all your eggs into one basket where you get hung up on to all your hopes on one book selling or what have you. You kind of do one and the next thing is your new hotness kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. uh, so you're working on multiple books uh, instead of trying to create your masterpiece. How many story kernels do you tend to juggle at a time based on this? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say each book, I mean, it's it's like it's like being a serial dater. The book that you're dating, the book that you're writing now is like, this is the best boyfriend. This is dreamy. I am so infatuated in love. Oh my God, we're going to be together forever. And then it's like the second year you've turned in the edit, you're like, all right, okay, who's hot? You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. So in the moment, this is definitely, you know, it's, it's your baby in the moment, but uh, you just can't hold on to them for that long. So it just depends on my schedule um, and how far I'm contracted out and when things are due. Um, I really only try to first draft one book at a time, just because first drafts, you have to hold so much information in your brain and be constantly thinking about it. Um, I think of first drafts, like carrying hot laundry, where you have to run, you know, to the bed and dump out all the hot laundry. And like, if you drop a sock and you stop to get it, you're going to drop the pants and then the pajamas and everything's going to fall out. So it's like, you hold it and you run and you don't stop for other things. The only thing I, the only time I've ever first drafted more than one book at a time was when Kevin and I, Kevin Hearn and I were writing uh, the tales of Pell because we would trade chapters back and forth. And that book was so nonsensical. And we had mapped out all the chapters that he would send it to me and I would read his chapter and write mine and send it back. And I didn't have to carry all that information because he and I were sharing the load. We have a library staff member whose favorite book, so her name's Ariel, and her favorite book is Kill the Farm Boy, like Yay. of all time, like the favorite book. So, she, and you wrote it with Kevin Hearn. Yeah. She has questions for you. She would like to know, where did the initial ideas for each character in the adventuring party come from? Was it a group effort? Did you have separate ideas and then flesh out as a team? And what was it like to work with Kevin? Kevin Hearn is the nicest, best, most noble human being on earth. Um, he, you know, he's, he's Oberon personified pretty much. So it was an absolute joy working with him. He's one of my best friends. So it was super great. Um, we wrote that book because he originally wanted to write an anthology called Kill the Farm Boy. And we started rounding up friends and everybody was going to write, you know, a story where you killed the farm boy and then added on another trope like the chainmail bikini or the uber evil wizard. Um, and then we realized it's a lot of trouble to do an anthology. And that, you know, they don't, they don't make a super ton of money. And even if they do have to divide it up. And so we put the, put that idea away. And a couple of months later, I was like, homie, if we write this together, just us two, we each write half a book, but for the same money. <laughs> and so he was open to that. So it all started on Twitter DMs with us just trying to kind of one up each other with, you know, okay, well, here's, well, I want to make sure we do the chainmail bikini. So how could we flip that trope? Well, I want to make sure that we do, you know, the super inept, terrible bard. How can we flip that trope? Well, let's take the, the absolute darkest of the Dark Lords. How can we flip that trope? And so we kind of came up with these characters and named them. I don't really remember who came up with whom most of the time. If we sat down, we could probably hammer it out. But uh, the reason I think that the partnership worked so well is that there wasn't any kind of ownership. It wasn't like, oh, well, Kevin came up with Gustav, so only Kevin can write Gustav. Um, I came up with Arcabello, only I can write Arcabello. So 
we just took turns. So we would flesh out 30 chapters and say, maybe even just one, like, you know, a giant wants to eat everyone, but then it's ruined by a sneeze. And that would all, we, all we'd have for the chapter. And then, you know, you'd have to write that. So whichever chapter you had, you would have to write that point of view character. So it's like, he came up with Fia, but I wrote Fia first. So we just went back and forth like that. Um, so it all happened on Twitter DMs with us just trying to lovingly, uh, respectfully play with the fantasy tropes that are we find kind of out of date or vaguely annoying while showing them honor, but also kind of messing with them. And then they kind of came out on the page as whoever wrote that character first created those things about them. And then we, we carried that on. So it was always like, it was just a delight with every book series, we would do this together and come up with the characters. And like, you just had no idea what was gonna happen um, in each, in each uh, episode. Like, I will never forget just reading like that first time that Gustav said, y'all are intense. And I was like, oh my God, Kevin, I'm gonna die. And then, you know, you, you read it. So he'd write a chapter and send it to me, I'd edit it. And, you know, in the margins, tell him how amazing it was, write my chapter and send it back. And then he'd look at his, decide what he wanted to give or keep, look at mine, edit it and write his. Um, and we just, it's like just trying to one up your friend and, and make them laugh. And it was, it was fabulous. I'm listening to the audiobook now and even the narrator, he has a ton of fun doing the audiobook in it. You can oh, yeah. tell you guys had a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, so that's Luke Daniels. He Kevin was lucky enough when he wrote Hounded and began the Iron Druid Chronicles. Um, Luke Daniels was the narrator that was kind of assigned to it, and their partnership just launched Kevin because those audiobooks are incredible. Luke Daniels does such amazing um, voices, and so Kevin also tapped him for his Plague of Giants series and for um, Ink and Sigil, and then we tapped him for this as well. And so we also kind of wrote with him in mind, knowing he was going to be saying things. Kevin likes to give him, you know, tongue twisters and weird Polish words. So it's always fun with us to mess with Luke. We've gotten to do a couple of events with him too. And he reads out loud and it's, it's hilarious. He'll like, he'll make you a, if you say like, okay, leave me, um, you know, a phone message for Gustav. He'll be like, hello, this is Gustav. Do you have any goats? Like, it's amazing. Kind of speaking of the, the tropes part of, of that, um, what are your turn-ons or turn-offs as a reader and a watcher? Oh man. Um, it's like, ask me my favorite dessert. You're like, there's so many. <laughs> I, I like to be delighted. Um, like I'm watching Peacemaker right now and I'm like, this is so much fun. Like this isn't, I haven't seen this before. Like I liked Hawkeye, but I've seen all that before. But Peacemaker is just cracking me up. Like I, I'm hearing the theme song in my head right now. It's so And we'll never skip that intro. No, no, it lives in me rent free. So yeah, being like surprised and delighted is my number one thing. Seeing something I've never seen before. Um, you know, those, those kind of, I guess they call it high concept is when you, you have the X times X, like, you know, uh, Deanna Rayburn is one of my all-time favorite authors. Um, and she writes the Veronica Speedwell series. We're just like, oh, it's a, a lady left lepidopterist who goes on adventures in Victorian England. And like, it's just, I didn't know I wanted that, but I do. So yeah, it's, it's that. And uh, one issue I have right now is because I am constantly first drafting something, uh, I can't read something that's too much like when I'm first drafting. I have to read something very different. Um, so I've been reading a lot of psychological thrillers, pretty much anything with, you know, snow or a lake or a broken tricycle on the front where bad things happen to women. I don't know why, um, but that's, that's what I've been reading a lot of lately. I'll also go through why uh, contemporary romance kicks where, you know, it's, I write so much that's speculative, just reading about like, these are just two normal kids falling in love. You're like, oh, wow, that's different. Um, but yeah, just being surprised and delighted. And, um, you know, I guess as a, as a writer, like, if the book doesn't immediately tickle you, you get kind of bored and put it down. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be good. And then I get to go put them in the free little library. So. I, I, cause I, I 
have no one else to talk Peacemaker with right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with this. What just sitting through that show and, and I wasn't sure what I was expecting from it, but the way and directions it goes, it is just an incredibly surprising show. And the, I mean, once you get to that intro, you're like, okay, we're on a roller coaster. Let's do this. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. It's, it's, um, I've like, I've enjoyed James Gunn's work a lot, I think over the years. Part of becoming a successful writer for you was losing the fear of failure. How did you hit that point and how did it help you with the process? So um, I, I wasn't someone who knew I wanted to be a writer at first. Um, I was an artist, a visual artist. I did murals. I worked at visual art centers, um, went to art school. And um, my husband, who I met in college, he'd written a couple of books and I'd edited them for him and tried to, and at one point I was like, could you just give me the file and I can fix this because I'm sick of trying to, you know, there's not enough room in the margins, let me fix this. And then he'd be like, we should write a book. And so I sat down and tried and I didn't get past the first paragraph because like you said, I was too worried about failure. I was like, if I get this girl's eye color wrong, this whole book is doomed, which is just absolute garbage. So, um, you know, 10 years later, after my second kid was born, uh, I was getting like three hours of sleep and my brain broke. Um, I started hallucinating. It, things were not working very well there. So I went to my husband. I was like, hey, interesting news. I'm hearing rats talking in the wall. And he was like, okay, let me stop you there. We're going to get you a sleep schedule. You know, let's, let's get this fixed. Um, but the second thing is that, like, you need a hobby. All you do is like lay on the ground with two children under two all day long. You have, and I was like, I can't, I can't do art. Art is poison, poison pen, poison pastels, poison paint. I can't art. And he was like, well, so write a book. All you have to do is like sit there with a boppy in your lap on your laptop and write a book. And my brain was so broken. And I was like, yeah, okay, why not? I, whatever. Okay. And so I, I did. And at first I was like, well, I don't know how you get a story idea. Like, I don't know how that works. And he said, we just had an idea and you write it. And I was like, that, that's like saying, yeah, just go weave a coat. Like, I don't know how to weave a coat. Um, so he said he was going to email me a new story prompt every day. And I should just wait until I got a good one and then get an idea and go. And the first one he sent me was a woman wins a surprise trip on a cruise and hijinks ensue. And I wrote him back. I was like, I can't write about that. I've never been on a cruise. I don't even know how a cruise works. And he was like, figure it out. <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay, well, I've been on a ferry in Greece. And that was my first book became the story about um, a woman who was on a ferry in Greece and accidentally slept with Zeus because that's what Zeus does. Is he pretends to be your husband or a swan or a ray of sunshine. And after that happened to her, she started seeing all of the Greek myths for real. Like she's walking down the street in Piraeus and there's like a three-headed dog and then Hera wants to kill her. So it kind of just all came from not having enough sleep to be a functional human being. And uh, I, so the fear just wasn't there because that part of my brain had turned off. So you know, I, I don't know how I would replicate that today. It's like my, the chemistry of my brain changed, I think, because I had my son, you know, they say there's like blood brain barriers and male chromosomes come into you. I'm a functionally different person than I was before he was born in a lot of ways. And then I had the sleeplessness issue. Um, and I'm just a different person now. And I, I don't have that, that kind of fear of failure anymore. I'm just like, Oh, who cares? Like I, I mean, also, once you give birth, you're like, who cares? People have seen everything. Like I can't, there's nothing worse that could happen to me than what happened to me on that table. So why not? At one point you were talking about how, and this kind of surprised me, that most books aren't successful. Uh, they tend to sell very small amounts of copies. So what does success look like to you as, as a writer now? Are you still kind of in that men, uh, mental space of that? The cool thing for me is that my favorite thing in the whole ride world to do is write. It makes me so happy. I get really excited about it. I think about it all the time. I really enjoy the process. 
So it's never felt like work to me. Um, maybe because when I started writing, it was like I was babies, babies, babies. And that was my little oasis was, oh, my God, I can go to Starbucks and I can have a drink and I can write for 45 minutes like this is bliss. So it's my escape. And it's this thing that I love to do. So because I love that so much, it means that I don't have to judge myself as much by books I sell or anything like that. So, um, you know, I don't really look at numbers. I learned early on in my career, I couldn't budge them. If I go to Twitter where I have 45,000 followers and I say, hey guys, this book is really important to me. It would mean a lot to me if you would pre-order this or buy it. It would really help my career and my creativity. You know, if you like anything I've ever done, please buy this book. Out of 45,000 people, I might get five sales if I'm lucky. And if I do that too many times, I lose 5,000 followers. <laughs> so it just doesn't, there's nothing I can personally do to move the needle other than write a better book than I wrote last time. So I just put all my focus there. Um, it's challenging because I have really talented friends and a lot of them are further along in their careers than I am. And if I pay too much attention to that, I'll get really down on myself and get very bummed. But if I turn off social media and come back and start writing, I, I forget everything. So as long as I'm still selling books and my editors are still liking the books and people are still enjoying the books, you know, as long as I don't look at the numbers, I'm pretty happy. The violence was amazing. So I think, I think that this one will be a really good bestseller. Oh, thank you. I hope so. It's, it's different. I, it's funny. And my hope is like, I'm, I hope it's not too dark. And you're like, well, it's called the violence. <laughs> it's not called the happy days. And I felt so cool just even carrying it because the cover art is awesome. So I'm like, yeah, I'm reading the violence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Shine on this knife. There it is. See that? Oh, so it's lovely. Cool. <laughs> they gave me some little bookmarks that are like the exact shape of this knife. It's, I love the cover. It's amazing. It's like once in a lifetime cover for an author to get. It's very clever with the shadow. I didn't know what they were going to do. They're like, what do you think? And I was like, red. I think the color red. That's all I got. <laughs> you do it, Helen. I don't know. So even talking back to when you were having coffee, there, is there a favorite way that you like to problem solve and get creative inspiration during the writing process? Sure. Um, well, I try not to get too precious with my process. Um, you know, just I never want to be that person's like, if I can't find my cup and if it's not a pretty day and if I'm not listening to this song, it's this temperature, I can't write. Like I want to be able to write in an airport. I want to be able to write in the car outside of my gym. I, I want to be able to write wherever I need to. Um, so I, I, you know, try to stay pretty flexible with that. But I found that when I get kind of stuck, I'm not sure what to do next. Kind of the best thing for me to do is be near water. Um, the ocean's great. Be near a river. I can take a bath. I can take a shower. Um, I can put on a, the playlist that sounds like the book and drive around. I had a point with the violence where I couldn't figure out what to do next. And I was at, uh, I was in DC for the last ALA back in 2019. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go try a float tank uh, and do sensory deprivation. And so I kind of, you know, uh, did a, a precog with Tom Cruise there and like got in a little neon lit float tank and let this book kind of come at me uh, like an alien starship. It was, that was a wild ride. So like, I will try to do whatever I can to get my brain into a position to think. Having a drink can help sometimes if you're a person that, that is okay with that. Um, I, I don't like to get drunk it does not feel nice to me so like one drink and I'm like all right let's do it um which is nice and then like my my last my last resort is I'll go to my husband and be like I'm having this problem with my book and I'll tell him and then he'll tell me a bunch of answers and I'll be like no 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 you're wrong that's stupid it's this uh so hearing all of the wrong answers allows me to get the, the right one which I'm sure is his favorite thing that ever happens but uh you know it's it's all it's all for the the end result 
ideas these days come pretty easy. So most of the time when I have to figure out the next step, it's in a book where uh, I've left some room to play, um, which happens especially in books like The Violence um, or horror books where you want to have, you know, those empty rooms to wander into. I don't typically have books that are scary, super planned out. Um, and then, you know, they just have to think about where the character is, the last decision that they made. Um, and if I'm kind of pushing them along with the plot or if they are making active choices, usually once I give the character power and say, okay, but really you probably wouldn't be sitting on your bunk right now. You'd be out doing stuff. Then they go out and do it. And then the book picks back up. You have your original ideas, but you have also worked on a lot of IPs. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, let's see here, Star Wars, Rick and Morty, uh, Spider-Man, Hellboy, Minecraft, Firefly. Do you find that knowing them before you come into them is, is something that you have to do? Or do you do the research end of it and kind of find the love in them works better I think it's really hard to write in a world that you you don't love. Um, Star Wars especially because it's a very big world and a long-standing world and the fans are very demanding. You know, some other things like my very first IP project was back when Amazon was doing Kindle Worlds. I got invited to write uh, Shadow Man and I'd never heard of Shadow Man. So I went to my local comic book store and, you know, bought a hundred dollars book of comics and like read them all. I was like, oh my God, I love Shadow Man so much. But you know, if I'd gone and hadn't liked him, I probably would have turned down the project just because if you don't really love it, it's super hard to be in that world. You're probably not going to know what the character is going to say. And there's probably someone who that's their dream job and they're going to do a lot better. So, you know, for a project, I've turned down a couple of things where I was like, you know, I just, this is good money. You seem like a really nice editor, but like I, I would have to do so much um, research to be in this world. And there's probably somebody that's going to do a much better job. Um, whereas, you know, something like Spider-Man, we know Spider-Man, uh, John Barber and I had like a three hour call where we like talked about Spider-Man, like, deeply deeply about spider-man um like x-files i'm a huge fan seen every episode that was easy labyrinth one of my favorite movies of all time rick and morty seen every episode adventure time seen every episode like most of these things i am firefly seen every episode 40 times like big and deep and most of the ip i've written and then minecraft um is probably the one that i wasn't already in but my kids were like my kids have been playing minecraft since they were like five so it's it's always been around we've always had a creeper or a zombie i did a Minecraft party for my son when he was a little kid. So um, luckily it was easier because that's the world. You can make any characters you want to. They just have to be in that world with those rules. And then there are layers of protection where they're like, oh, actually this doesn't work that way. You can't give a pig an apple. You have to give the pig the carrot. And I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. That's cool. You've made pigs who won't eat apples, but pigs will eat human bodies, but okay, they won't eat apples, got it. And then, you know, they, they, they help you along, so. Yeah, I, I love working in IPA. I know people have asked it like constantly, like, doesn't that just put you in a little box? Isn't it like being locked in a room? And you're like, okay, imagine a room containing every action figure and Lego that's ever been made. <laughs> like that's the room I get to play in. Um, and it's a great room to be in. From the way I understand this process worked for you to join the, the Star Wars universe, you kind of did a little bit of a, a secret vision board kind of thing where you put that energy out into the universe saying, hey, I want to do this. And, you know, the cards fell into place. So let's try to recreate this right here for you. <laughs> what? Let's put that energy out there. What would be your next wish list kind of IP to get on? This is tough, not only because I, I kind of gotten to do most of my big wish list pieces, but also because I have secret projects in the work that I can't oh. talk about. <laughs> but like, no, like when I, when I, it's, you know, something like, uh, you know, Adventure Time and X-Files and Labyrinth are just things where you're just like, oh my God, this is like such a big deal to me. 
um, where I got super excited about it. So it's, it's, it's super hard. There's so many things um, that I, that I really love. And there's also some IP projects that I've tried out for and haven't gotten, or that I've like gotten to the contract stage and they got canceled at Transformers might be one of them. Um, James Roberts run on Transformers more than meets the eye and lost light is my favorite comic book series of all time. Um, I love them. We, I, I bought original art from the artists. Um, we've got, I've, there's Transformers behind me on the shelf. I've got a box in the room. We've got a whole Transformers museum in the basement. We've got Unicron, like Transformers is big in my family. I almost got to write it and then they did a merger and we lost the contract and it's like, um, so that's, that's one of those that's up there, but it would also have to be like the part of Transformers I love. It wouldn't just be any Transformers. Like, you know, with Star Wars, it's like, I'll pretty much, if they're like, we want to charge our beans for romance. I'm like, I got you, baby. Um, but if Transformers, you know, it, it would have, kind of have to be like the area of Transformers that really hits my heart or I wouldn't feel, you know, it would feel like a dishonor if I didn't really, really care about that little portion of Transformers. And Disney Plus has created a lot of spinoffs. So they've done The Mandalorian and then now they have Boba Fett. Would you like to see Phasma turned into a spinoff series? And can we make this happen? I got in trouble recently on Twitter for saying like, hey guys, if you like people in helmets that, you know, get dead and come back to life, you know, please read Phasma and then please let me write the sequel in which she, you know, escapes. Uh, and, you know, after the fight with Ben, like she falls through, gets an escape pod and goes to some random planet, becomes a petty warlord. And Twitter, of course, was like, this is God's word brought to you by George Lucas's mouth. It's happening. And I was like, no, guys, it's just an idle wish. Nobody cares but me. <laughs> um, so... Like, I would love to write that book. Um, a, a show would be very cool. Um, it, it might be, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, if it was good, it'd be very, very good. But if I didn't like it, I'd be like, what have you done to my baby? <laughs> you know, like if there's something like, oh, Fazna's not a sociopath. She's going to like run an orphanage. I'd be like, she wouldn't run an orphanage. Unless she was milking the children of blood to sell to people. Like she's not a good person. Um, part of the joy of her was her just being like an unapologetic villain. There is no point at which she's like, should I do this and be terrible? Um, which is, I think, a really fun thing to see in Star Wars. So, you know, I, I would love to see more in her. I would just really like to be involved with it or to have it like real top notch. You wrote Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, which is unique to me in the sense that you essentially wrote a prequel to an adventure park. How do you go into that writing process knowing that it's basically just going to become a playground literally for, for millions of people? It was so cool. Um, I got to know about Galaxy's Edge before like anybody else. Um, it was pretty special. When we wrote Phasma and it was about to go to print, we got a, a message from Lucasfilm. It was like, hey, could we rename this spy? Because her name was originally Amaka. And they were like, can we, can we change her name to Vi? And we were like, well, the other lady's name is Siv, so we've got Siv and Vi, but if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Like, name her whatever you want to. So we got Vi Marathi, and they said they might use her in a park. And we were like, all right, what park? But cool. And then we found out about, like, the day that they announced Galaxy's Edge, they gave out a card that was like, Vi Marathi shoots the stormtroopers. And we were like, oh, my God, it's real. Because, <laughs> you know, with, with big IP lots of time, they're like, maybe we'll do this. And then, you know, 99% of the time, they, they go in a different direction. So it was, it was a delight. Um, but they sent me, a, I got to, you know, have, calls with the Imagineers and they sent me this huge PDF with all, you know, the art and the descriptions and the characters and the, here's the menu at Ronto Roasters and all this stuff. And there was no like uh, index. So I'd be like, what was the page that mentioned Doc Ondar? And then like seven days later, I'd finally find it. So that was, that was a super fun, like Harry Potter book that you can never find your way. And it was amazing. 
Um, so yeah, like I got to, I felt like I'd been to Galaxy's Edge before I wrote the book and uh, they were kind enough to let me include my boy Cardinal up here, who's like my, my precious little cinnamon bun. Um, and I got to create the new characters and go all over the world. So, you know, even though in one way, it's kind of like your, uh, your Zagat's guide to Galaxy's Edge to a theme park. Um, I also had a lot of leeway to tell this really special story between Vimerati and Cardinal, uh, who began as enemies and, and became friends. And I also got to kind of explore, uh, you know, PTSD in the Star Wars world. I mean, it's not, it's not an issues book, but it's a thing that's touched on because it occurs to me that, you know, Star Wars is, it's about wars. And we have all of these wars, and we have all of these veterans, and we don't see a lot of people being like, hey, this is a veteran of a war that's been going on for 20 years who's killed a bunch of people. And you throw them in Bacta and you give them a robot hand, but like, did you ever send them to a shrink? So, you know, Cardinal gets sent to a planet to like do yoga and try to <laughs> do space yoga to try to like get his head straight. So it was really neat to get to explore so many different things and, and to make it a book that wasn't just, that was, it's a great introduction to Galaxy's Edge, but there's like, a whole other story going on there that you know I feel like broadens the world and uh, takes characters to a, a neat place we haven't seen in Star Wars before. We are a library PG podcast, so I have to change what this this game is actually called here. I can imagine. <laughs> so uh, we instead of what it's most people know it as, we call it Kiss Mary Ditch. Okay. And I'm going to give you a couple little choices here to let you pick your own poison as a soap. So we've got the clues for what you might be getting into are tech support, minor influence, Fraser versus Fraser, and paging Dr. Acula. Do I know what those things mean? Oh, you should. You will. You will. Okay. okay. All right. Just go with your gut. Which one would you uh, like to pick? Dr. Acula. Okay. So this is vampire shows. Okay, good. I like that. <laughs> so you've got a Kiss Mary Ditch. These are... Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, the TV version, uh, Lost Boys, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Can can I just marry all three of them and we can live <laughs> together happily in a house full of taxidermied animals and creepy living dolls? Oh, you can't you can't break these rules. We we've got to we've got to see what you're I throwing overboard. I can't ditch any of that. <laughs> I can't ditch any of that. No, I, I go for the heart here. I, with I these. guess I would I would I would marry what we do in the shadows because one of my all-time favorite shows i would kiss the lost boys because i love the lost boys and i guess i would ditch buffy because i'm real mad at joss whedon right now that's understandable that's that's kind of where i, I figured we were going to go with this one but, but it was informative at the time like i was watching that show i was doing like a full-on binge rewatch when i had the dream that came became wicked as they come my first published book so like spike is in my heart and just to kind of give you an idea of where the other ones would have taken you, uh, tech support would have made you choose your best supporting character, kind of like a Grogu, Korg, or Kroki. Yeah. See, I, I go for the heart with these. Well, that's because like, they're all my favorites. Minor influence would have been movies that influenced mine, such as Stand By Me, Monster <laughs> Squad, or Goonies. Fraser versus Fraser would have been Brendan Fraser movies. You would have had to choose. <laughs> Adventure Fraser, Mummy. Comedy Fraser of George of the Jungle or Serious Fraser, God and Monsters. So these would have been the hard for Where was Encino Man in that? Yeah, I, I was torn between that and George of the Jungle for the comedy one. But I mean, bad guy but falls in poop. Man. We throw back our head and laugh always wins. I was going with butt flap, but okay. <laughs> we always marry George of the Jungle. <laughs> we always. It's that, it's that horse scene, isn't it? I don't know why chicks take horses. <laughs> 
Yeah, we went on, we got to go on the, the Disney cruise for Star Wars Day at sea. I got to teach some classes about writing for Star Wars and my whole family watched George the Jungle. <laughs> and my kids were like, what is this? And I'm like, it's canon. <laughs> we watched it like 10 times. It's definitely one of those where you, if you don't know what you're getting into, you're like, what the heck are this? <laughs> what is this? And why do I love every part of it? Because it is so wholesome. Mine is a ghost story for younger audiences that is super creepy spooky. And I remember being the age of Lily with the Ouija board, definitely had an Ouija board. And my parents were moving into a house around that time that we were convinced was haunted. And we like refused to go in there until like some serious renovations were made. Um, Have you had any paranormal experiences? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like a super, super sensitive person (laughs) in a lot of ways. And I also like, I like to believe things. Like I'm that kid that when I was little and we were on the highway, I'd be looking in the forest for unicorns. So like, even if I understand the math of everything, I'm still like, maybe Lestat will show up one day. Who could know? Um, so yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had some creepy experiences. Um, like after my dad died and the next day I saw him down the hall, just standing there looking vaguely confused. <laughs> I had a cat who, who died um, kind of a terrible death and I would see her in the hallway every now and then. And my husband, the house he grew up in is, uh, was built in like in the 1800s in Savannah. It's got like secret doors, hidden stairs, like it, I, the first night we spent there, I ran into his room and was like, what is this place? Like, this, I, this, what, that pa- the painting? And then and he was like, get out of my room or my mom's just here. Like, screw your mom. The ghosts are going to see me. Like, I don't like this. She had bees and they were there. Like, so there, his mom got like bee scaps and they're like, you know, honeybees are like nice. You can scoop them up like ice cream with your hands. Like honeybees are chill. Hers are like, they beekeeper stopped coming because he was like I don't know what's going on on this ground but your, your bees have Africanized themselves and they are now killer bees and I won't take care of your hives so that's yeah. creepy <laughs> we're all haunted people and I have another question if I, I have a quick moment um this goes back to the violence hugs and compression come into play with your pandemic and I don't want to do any spoiler alerts but it's the opposite of COVID where you're like people avoiding people at all costs what was it like writing uh, COVID in the past tense and then working on like a new outbreak? So I so- pitched and sold this book before COVID. <laughs> um, they bought it before COVID and then like two months later, COVID hit. So they were kind of stuck with it. Uh, so when I was actually first drafting, it was in that that March period when COVID was first happening. A lot of this was that kind of really beautiful time where we were clapping for doctors and people weren't driving. And so I'd be sitting in my outside office in Florida and like a whole family would drive by the empty road on their bikes at, you know, like two in the afternoon, spending time together laughing and like kids were on the trampolines and you would have your groceries brought in with ship and you'd be like on them with like the bleach wipes. Like it was this very gentle, sweet time. So that's when I wrote the first draft. And by the time that I got the revisions back, I was like, it didn't last. We are hateful, terrible people (laughs) who do not take care of each other. So I had to do some major revisions. From you know, you know, COVID was quick, and we got through it together. To like, well, some people still won't wear masks, <laughs> and you know, some people will never take their masks off, and some people are real mad about that. So then, by the time like the very final uh, edit came around, you know, it was much further along. So it was the first time I've had to like edit in real time because the world was changing. But I also, you know, kind of wrote the book from the stance of like, it's it's mostly solved, gone. You know, I didn't want to write the book where like, it's still happening, double plague. But um, yeah, by the time the third one came around, like we had the vaccines. So we were able to kind of write that in. It was definitely 
um, an interesting thing to have sold your first plague book right before the first plague hit. You, we've talked about this uh, kind of loosely, but you have a variety of different books out there, tons of books. You've used some different pseudonyms as we kind of go into it. You've got um, Delilah S. Dawson for the stuff that you're writing now, but you've also written under Lila Bowen. You mentioned something that kind of surprised me about how when you were originally with Simon & Schuster and then you switched over to Orbit, they didn't want you to carry that name because they didn't want to market that name. That kind of kind of surprised me. So um, how much extra work does it go into marketing for multiple people in a sense? <laughs> well, yeah. So um, up until that point, everything I had was with, with Simon, with Pocket or Simon Pulse. Uh, and then when Orbit bought uh, Wake of Vultures, it was kind of a not only did they not need to contribute to Simon's work, but it was also a very different kind of book. And a pseudonym can give you a little boost. Uh, you get that, that debut, um, you know, Magic Sprinkles as a debut where you get a little bit more attention. Um, so I was fine with that. I have always wanted to write in so many different genres. I kind of figured I would take a pseudonym at some point. I, I was like, okay, if my pseudonym is going to be Dick Manley. It's the most masculine thing I can come up with. I will pencil in like a beard and wear a fedora. And they were like, tone it down a little bit, just <laughs> a slightly different name. So yeah, I went with Lila because if you call that in a crowded room, I'll look up. And then Bowen is an, an old family name from my hometown that sounded appropriately Westernish. Yeah, the same, I, you know, it's when it comes to marketing, um, what I'm learning is these days, there's not a super ton that a traditionally published author can do to market themselves. Uh, social media just doesn't really move books. So, you know, I, I do some and I talk about things, but, uh, you know, whenever every book that comes out, you just try to sell it. And because it's an open pseudonym, you know, we're not hiding it from anybody. It's, it's right there on my Twitter avatar. If you search Twitter for Delilah Bow and you'll get me. And same thing with Google. So it's kind of cross-pollinated. I don't have to really do much extra work at all. Um, that series actually, you know, it, it, it did really well. It earned out. It's, it got a lot of, I think we got like four stars, four-starred reviews. It won two RT awards. It did pretty well. But also, you know, most authors who write a lot of books, you have to focus on the books that you're selling now and for the last year. Like, I can't really go back and be like, hey, 2015, you guys, I'm going to put all my time in, you know, Wake of Vultures. You should read it. Uh, but it is one of the most meaningful books that I've written and that like uh, it, it touched a lot of people that the fans of that series are uh, heart fans who, you know, say very kind things to me at, at cons, which makes it feel very like, yeah, I wouldn't write those books today. Um, I guess I wrote Wake of Vultures in I think 2013 and it came out in 2015. And at that time, uh, the hashtag was we need diverse books and they were urging um, white writers to have more people of color in their books to lead the way. And since then, that outlook has changed, rightfully so, to, you know, white authors should step back and, and leave, you know, people of color to, to write their own stories. And so I would not pitch these books um, right now. I would not attempt to sell them. Um, and, and I don't push them as hard just because I don't want to take that space from someone who, uh, you know, might have a more genuine voice there. But at the time, the books really meant a lot to me, and I'm very proud of them. And you've written in so many different genres. Do you have any advice for new writers to be able to write kind of what you're feeling at the time to write? Yeah, I mean, the best advice is just that when, if you want to be traditionally published, when you're querying agents, you want to make sure that the agents you're querying represent all of the genres that you're going to write. Um, if you had that plan, like I, the, the book I queried that I got my agent with was a middle grade adventure about talking rats. And I was already writing Wicked As They Come, which was a steampunk vampire romance. So that's a pretty big spread. So, um, 
you know, it's like, for example, two agents made offers to represent uh, that middle grade book. It was called Scritch. And one of them, I love her. I'm like Facebook and Twitter friends with her. If we met her, if I saw her in real life, we'd hug. She offered representation, but she only did children's books. She's like, oh, well, you know, you can have a, an adult agent and a kid's agent. And at the time I was like, that sounds like a lot of math for me. <laughs> so I, I went with the agent who represented pretty much everything that I wanted to write. And um, when I switched agents this time, I also went with an agent who represented pretty much everything I wanted to write. Um, so you just need to know that from the start. If you, you know, are only looking, if you'd written a, a thriller and you're only looking at agents who mainly focus on crime and thriller and horror, and your next book is going to be a lighthearted contemporary romance, you're going to kind of be in, in trouble. So yeah, that, that's what I would say. And also just uh, sometimes an agent or an editor might encourage you to, you know, re really focus on your brand because that makes you easier to market. Um, but as it turns out for several of us, you know, like my buddy Chuck Wendig and like Kevin and, you know, Cameron Hurley, all these other people, uh, skipping around genres is kind of what we do. And that's, that's our brand is, you know, we, who knows what you'll get next, but you know, there's a tone, I think like a Delilah S. Dawson book reads like a Delilah S. Dawson book, whether it's a kid's Minecraft book or the violence. So yeah, just take, you have to love it. If you write to trends, um, you're, the book's not going to be as strong and the reader and the agent and the editor will be able to sense that. Whereas if you write the thing you're really passionate about and it's good enough, they will find a shelf to put it on. Like, Nobody looked at Gideon the Ninth and went, oh, I don't know what shelf to put this on. They were just like, oh my God, this is amazing. We'll figure it out. What are you currently reading or watching that you would recommend to people? I mean, Peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are loving that. Um, of course, watching Boba Fett, uh, that third episode really hooked me. Let's see here. Um, I just read Malice by Heather Walter, um, which I, I did an interview with her a couple of days ago. It was really cool. It's a sapphic retelling of Sleeping Beauty. Um, I read Portrait of a Thief by Grace Lee. Um, so most of the books I'm reading right now are books that I was reading for kind of blurbing purposes or interview purposes. I also read Book of Accidents by Chuck Wendig. I think it's, it's over there. There it is. It's right there. Um, which was great. Very kind of classic Stephen King-esque that I really enjoyed. Um, and then the books that I'm kind of reading for pleasure, like I said, are just the psychological thrillers that I get on BookBub for $1.99. And I'm like, how did this woman die? Is she dead? Where are her hands? This is crazy. Um, and then I, I, I don't remember like the authors of the names. I'm just like, it had a tricycle on the front. The man had a pet kestrel. Um, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in my heaviest reading phase right now, just because I am writing so much. I'm under a lot of deadlines. I have to crank out at least 2,000 words a day right now to meet all of my deadlines. <laughs> so that does not leave a lot of time for being really immersed in the world. I've got to get that that last Diana gabbled on in the Outlander series, because I've always read those like the night they came out. And this is the first one. I'm like, I'm sorry, bees, you have to wait. I don't have mental space to get this upset over Jamie right now. And we are a library podcast. So how have libraries impacted your life? Well, I can tell you, uh, back in elementary school, I was at a um, VHS rental store, at a video rental store, and I saw this cool movie, and I took it to my dad, and was like, can we rent this? And he was like, watership down? No, that's very violent. And I was like, it's a cartoon about rabbits. And he was like, absolutely not. And it made me mad. <laughs> and he said, well, it's a book I read in high school, and it's very violent, you can't, you can't read it. So I went to the library and was like, hello, I would like one watership down. And she was like, oh no, this is very violent. You can't read this. You're in second grade and this is on the fifth grade shelf. So you have to wait until fifth grade. And I got very mad. So I shoved it in my backpack and took it home. Cause back then there was no, like nothing beeped when you walked out the door. If like the old blind lady at the library desk didn't see you, that book was yours. So yeah, I, I stole watership down. And I read it and it's my favorite book. 
And um, then I just like quietly returned it. And uh, so that was a day when the library served me a thing that no one would else would allow me. And I had to take it and it felt very like a never ending story-ish, but it's still one of my favorite books to this day and, and has influenced me in a lot of ways. Um, as I got older and got into, you know, that was of course the elementary school library. And as I got into the local library where like my mom would drop me off there and leave me there for a couple of hours and I would just find some big book in a corner and read. I had trouble kind of finding books that were what I needed. Like I, I remember I was into big fantasy books uh, and I would, I remember, you know, finding Thomas Covenant and the book made me so mad where I was like, I hate this, but it's a big series with a lot of books. And if I read it, you know, it's like I'd gone through all the Tad Williams and all that. And I was like, I remember holding the book library and being like, I hate this, but I feel like it's all I have. And then I found Miss of Avalon, which kind of controversial today. But at the time I was like, wait, women are allowed to be the heroes of big, chunky science fiction fantasy tomes? Like I'd never seen that before. And it just infected me. And I read everything that she'd written. And then I read Jennifer Robertson. And then I found Clan of the Cave Bear. And oh boy, let me tell you, reading Valley of Horses um, in the middle school library is a revelation in what uh, being very aware if adults are paying attention to you can be. And I just that was where I discovered that women could be the heroes and that they could not just be like, oh, the queen, but like, she invented riding horses. <laughs> she invented that. <laughs> and she invented a spear thrower and she tamed a lion. And I was like, I want to be Ayla when I grow up. I don't want to be Thomas Covenant. He's gross. I want to be Ayla. So yeah, like that's, the library was where I found that and where I, I first felt like maybe I could be a hero too. Well, this is where we revealed this was all just an elaborate sting operation to, to, to track you down and get you for, for the watership down. I mean, it's been years. But... I took the book back. You can't prove anything. <laughs> Nothing. Didn't even dog ear it. My cat's actually named, I didn't finish the book because I did get sad, but my cat's named Pipkin after, because he has like, when he was a kitten and he still has really big hind feet. So oh they God. look rabbit-esque. He's got bunny feet. Yeah, he's got bunny feet. So his My cat has bunny feet too. <laughs> I love it when they sit and their back foot is like this long. You're like, oh, yeah. Yes. It's adorable. Yeah, no, like if I need to cry, like if I'm like, okay, I can't quite cry. Either I can listen to Burn from Hamilton or I can read the last five pages of Watership Down. Either way. <laughs> I, I, it's one of our favorite questions that we have to ask. And I'm going to swipe it from Sarah. Okay, <laughs> but, uh, go for it. What's in your search history? We've heard some weird stuff today. So what's in that oh, search man. history? Strangest thing in the search history. Um, let's see here. The strangest thing. Um, signs of a grand mal heart attack. Where can I buy a Jennifer's Body shirt? <laughs> what? The movie Jennifer's Body. It's a really incredible horror movie. It's, it's a it wonderful horror movie. Yes. Yeah. So we watched that on New Year's. That was our, like on New Year's, we were like, we don't want to celebrate. What should we do? And I was like, let's watch a horror movie. Let's see here. Plants. Been, been looking into some plants because I, I want to get a certain kind of monster up. Um, how to use a butane torch. Um, and then I'm, I need some new shelves to put my, my author copies of books on. So yeah, not a lot of weird stuff, just a lot of boring stuff. Like, oh, I had to talk to my, my insurance company. Some of those are strange ones that, uh, when, it, when you start getting into it of, you know, well, I thought this was covered. No, we just, we only covered the most vaguest thing of what that word means. Oh, here's a fun one. I was looking up um, dyed taxidermy deer. Oh, nice. Uh, I don't know if you can see. 
behind mm-hmm. me, this guy, we found him at the local antique market. He's spray painted orange. And then someone took the time to like really do his, his horns are like very nicely orange and like shellac. So I call him Cheeto. I don't want to sale for $75, <laughs> but I was just like, I kind of feel like he needs a girlfriend. Like, is this a thing where people die taxidermy deer and then no one knows what to do with them except a weirdo like me who like finds this thing and it's like, oh my God, we have to buy this. So yeah, I was, I was looking up dyed taxidermy deer and how to dye a taxidermy deer. So I, I like taxidermy, but like, you know, old stuff. Like this isn't, he's not like fresh or anything, but yeah. I'm a fan of taxidermy as well. And, and you can dress them up. There's so many things you can do with taxidermy. Oh yeah, at Christmas, all of ours have like little hats. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, we're kind of wrapping up here. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. So the violence is out February 1st. Um, it will be out in a beautiful hardcover as well as ebook and, and an audio book. Uh, my next book that's out after that will be my next Minecraft book. Mob Squad is going to be a three book series. So the first book is Minecraft Mob Squad. And then the second one is Never Say Nether. Um, which you can guess where the gang is going. But if you have a kid who likes Minecraft um, and would enjoy like the kind of story where you get in the eighties where like four kids go away from the adults and have an adventure. Um, but it's, it's a pretty cool little series. Um, it's got a neurodivergent kid in the Minecraft world, um, a tight knit group of friends. We're going to befriend a bully in this book, uh, which did not happen to me in my youth, but I like to think someone could. Uh, and then later this year in August, I have my next middle grade horror book out, which is called camp scare, which is based on the one really, really bad week I had at slumber camp as a kid. Sleep I'll have to add that one. Yeah. It's I really enjoyed mine. That was a good oh, listen. And I was creeped out, even though as a younger reader, I was like, what's happening? This is weird. <laughs> was yeah, see, I was one of those kids who like, I picked up Pet Cemetery at 10 and that was what I, you know, I'd read scary stuff before then, but that was, that was what I read at this age. So mm-hmm. I just put in whatever I can. I'm like, if it's too scary, somebody will tell me. We've already had a little discussion about that with Camp Scare where they're like, should we kind of edit this out? And I was like, no. I was always drawn to the creepy, scary when I was a kid, even like, are you afraid of the dark or the green ribbon? Yes. It gets all green ribbon. (laughs) I love me some scary stories. Grateful to be here talking with y'all. It's been real fun. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure for us. Thank you so much, Delilah, for joining us on Unstacked. The violence will be available in the library collection for checkout. It can also be purchased through your favorite bookstore and online vendors. Also check out her website, whimsydark.com. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.